As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. This episode is presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code THEATHLETICPOD. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined as always by Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed, Ted Wynn. Our season recap edition here of State of the Nation, and uh, obviously we have plenty of to- plenty of topics to get to. We will announce our second annual State of the Nation awards here at the end of the show. But before we can really recap the season and all of that, we've got to get into the latest on the Raiders. And we were wondering what would happen after the playoff loss um, with the coaching staff, with the general manager position. And on Monday, we learned Mike Mayock is out. He was fired by Mark Davis. The Raiders will go in another direction. Uh, Mayock spent three seasons here with the Raiders. It was really a guy that was hired by John Gruden after John Gruden uh Came in, tried to spend that first year working with Reggie McKenzie, and we really kind of knew that never was going to work out. And so Mac was the guy that he brought in. He had a few months here where he was you know, in charge of personnel, but um, ultimately it was mostly Gruden running the show for the majority of his stretch here. You know, the Raiders did get into the playoffs in his final season. That's That can kind of be, I guess, the end of his legacy uh, here. 10-7, and seven, gets to the playoffs, but wasn't good enough uh, for Mark Davis to want to stick around with him and uh, have him be part of whatever the next structure is as they decide where to go with head coach. Yeah, I think uh, for me, like uh, it wasn't a, a huge surprise. I think you look at maybe as being uh, Mike Mack being John Gruden's hire and not Mark Davis's hire, it's maybe the first part of that puzzle. Then you look at the, the draft picks. To me, it all comes down to the draft picks. Yeah, they had... What, six first-round picks, uh, 13 top 100 picks during Mike's three years. And you can't say a lot of them turned out very well. I think uh, Josh Jacobs is the one guy who's a clear you know, starter and, and a, a top player. But otherwise, there's not much but six first-round picks to show for it. Plus, there's the real bad ones like Cleveland Farrell and, and Damon Arnett. So I think you look at that and 
yeah, a lost opportunity for this team to really kind of take it to the next level with these young players, the young found There's still some young pieces to this puzzle, but it could have been a lot more, I think, if you look back on it. So I'm sure that's what Mark Davis looks at as far as why he wanted a, a new face at, at general manager. Yeah, I think even though they made the playoffs, I think the, the manner in which they made it probably factored into the decision, too. I mean, they had six walk-off finishes, you know, four overtime wins. Usually that kind of stuff doesn't translate from season to season. You know, they were, you know, a couple games away from, you know, having a losing record or, you know, however it would have shaken out there. And so the roster, even though they won 10 games, like, is it really a 10 game roster? You know, probably not. And so you would expect more after, after you know, having multiple off seasons, even though, you know, like Mayock wasn't having final decision making power. It wasn't like he was a bystander, uh, you know, in that scouting process, both in in the draft and free agency, you know, they had some huge free agency misses as well and the trade for Antonio Brown and things of that nature. Yeah, I don't think you can blame Antonio Brown on Mayock. <laughs> yeah, I think you can't blame him, but it's just like all these decisions weren't just like, well, it's either all Gruden or it's all Mayock, you know, it's like... I think that one's all Gruden. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, but yeah, just, just the collective, you know, results of it just weren't good enough. Uh, it's understandable. And then also, even though Rich Passaccia, you know, he interviewed for the, the head coach job on Wednesday, it kind of gives... Mark that opportunity to start with a clean slate moving forward with the team and, you know, not have a, a GM with a lame, lame duck head coach or, or a head coach with a lame duck GM and kind of just have, you know, both of those positions be on the same timeline. Yeah, I think after everything that's gone on, you know, including, you know, the, the first round misses and just the whole mess that the Raider had, Raiders had to overcome this year, uh, I think, you know, the wise move would be just to move on completely and start with a new clean slate so, yeah, I mean, that that includes starting with the new general manager and maybe having that manager eventually uh, have his input for who the, the head coach is going to be. And there are some good things. that there, There's some talented guys that they, they picked up in the late rounds, and there's some key pieces that are in place. So it's not a total rebuild, but it's just at a, at a point where there will take some sort of rebuild. It's not a total ground-up rebuild and just having someone new to do that with an, with another head coach, I think is the, is the best move for the fran- this franchise. I think the other thing that factors in is you know Derek Carr's contract situation because if Derek Carr had two years left on his deal and you could just know like all right you know we can go one more year where we're just in wait and see mode on Carr and and we're just going to try to keep building up this team around him and, and let's see what happens next season. You might be more inclined to say all right we'll give Mayock one more year we'll see what he can do, but. They have to make a decision this offseason on Carr. We've talked about it a lot. They have to either extend him or they probably have to trade him. So you don't want to have somebody making that decision who is just making that decision knowing they might get one more season left. You want to kind of have somebody come in with a long-term vision of this team. Um, you know, we know with Gruden, it was it was all about short-term, like, you know, I'm going to do this for today, and then tomorrow I'm going to make a decision for the next day, and tomorrow the next day. Because they have to make that decision on Carr, I think they have to bring in a coach and a GM that can create that long-term vision, that can present that long-term vision to Mark Davis and say, I want to, I want you to extend Carr. This is what I would want to do. I mean, obviously, we know, you know, Vic, you've said a lot that, that the Carr decision is going to be up to Mark, but I think he's going to want to hear what these guys have to say, what they think, kind of be able to, to lay it out. What, what are the next five years going to look like for the Raiders? Yeah, I agree with you. I think definitely uh, you want the new people in place to kind of you know, share their vision and kind of discuss the options. But I do think it, it's such a financial issue that I think Derek is probably still a Mark Davis decision. But um, 
And I, I wonder if that maybe play a part in, in, in not in trying not to bring everybody back. Maybe if you, if you decide on Derek Carr already, maybe you don't want to bring back Mike Mack and maybe the, the coaching staff. But I think they're separate issues. Like the coaching staff and Mike are different. You can't really say it's all one thing, like we're not bringing anybody back. I think it's their separate things. Like they decided on Mike. Uh, and Rich Versace talked to Mark Davis yesterday, kind of gave him his, his spiel. I think Rich still has a shot. I'm not, I mean, I don't think NFL Network still was an exit interview, but I'm not sure that's really an accurate description. I think it's just a, still still a vetting process. There's still a lot of options out there. You still got to satisfy the Rooney rule, so it's not like a huge rush to get this done. So I think Rich is still still in the mix. I mean, I don't know what the odds are, but I wouldn't rule out Rich Versace uh, you know, quite yet. And just you know, reading the tea leaves so far, I mean, it's, it does seem like GM is – you know, the bigger priority. I mean, the Raiders have requested interviews with four different GM candidates. Um, supposed to interview uh, Bears assistant director, player personnel, Champ Kelly today. And then they have another interview tomorrow uh, with, with Dave Zeigler from the Patriots. And so they have four interviews and they're already, you know, starting some of them, two of them this week. And, and you know, in, in terms of head coach, the only person they've interviewed so far is Rich Basacci. And they requested, you know, Gerard Mayo from the Patriots. And so uh, it seems like there's more priority on, on finding the GM first, which would make sense. You know, you hire a GM and then have them collaborate with you to, to hire the next head coach. I kind of just wonder, you know, with that, you know, are there any cer- certain assurances with the GM, you know, in terms of them having decision-making power? Is it more of a w- wait and see who the head coach is? Because I, I imagine that could change some things. And so it's kind of interesting to see how this all like falls together, but just kind of reading it out so far, it seems like GM will probably be the, the, the first domino that falls. Yeah, I mean, for a while it worked out well with, with Mark Davis and Reggie McKenzie. He brought Reggie in and Reggie had the power. And I think, People always say that Mark wants to make a splash higher, but you know, Reggie McKenzie was the opposite of that. He's a very low-key guy, uh, very behind the scenes, doesn't want to be in the forefront. So I think it's possible. Maybe Mark looked at that, how that worked, and they got to the playoffs in 2016. That worked for a while. Obviously, um, they had one bad year, and they went and found John Gruden. But uh, I just think um, it's very possible, like you said, he wants to get the GM in there first, kind of establish that, and then kind of go from there. Well, let's talk about a splash hire. Um, Vic, you referred to him as the maize and blue elephant in the room. You know, Jim Harbaugh, there's, you know, been buzz rumors, you know, for a while. I mean, Harbaugh's a guy that whenever he's going well, there is buzz that he's going to return to the NFL. And he's got that history where until this seven year run with Michigan, he had never stayed at a job for more than four years because he, he tends to grind on people. And he's a guy that usually needs to find a new situation. And uh, we saw Bruce Feldman's reporting on Wednesday that there are sources within the Michigan program that believe if the Raiders offered him the job that he would take it. Um, you also talked to people that called it, you know, complete noise. As we discussed, Vic, yesterday, you know, the, really the only thing you know about Jim Harbaugh is that you don't know anything. You know, he's long held the stance that he, he provides nothing if he's going to talk during these situations. He's going to keep everything quiet. He doesn't really, you know, let people know what he's thinking. A lot of people are just trying to usually guess what he's thinking, which you know, I guess that's what you, you, you got to try to do to try to, to see what's going on. But nobody really knows. But I think one thing we probably do know is that if it's true that Jim Harbaugh would you know, accept or seriously consider a Raiders offer if it was there, it'd be hard to imagine that Mark Davis doesn't have a conversation with him and doesn't uh, cons- seriously consider offering him a job if he has the sense that Harbaugh would actually accept it. Yeah, the one thing I, I would add and asking you know, the Bruce's thing was I think that you could have made the headline uh, you know Jim Harbaugh would accept any NFL offer if offered to him I think at this point I mean the Raiders are the only team that's really been mentioned with him because other teams obviously have, uh, I don't think he would take a, a the Jacksonville Jaguars for 10 million dollars a year maybe he would I mean I mean, obviously work with Trent Balky I mean, again I mean they'd probably get rid of Balky I don't think Balky has a lot of job security but I just think that 
obviously he's going through negotiations with, with Michigan. And he said before in the past, he enjoys having his name out there. He enjoys kind of getting and, and hearing the, the, the noise, like we said. So it will take you know, $9, $10 million a year to get to get him. It's a lot. I know he has the, the Niners you know, history and stuff, but again, it's unclear what he'd want as far as his role with GM, how much personnel power he'd want. So I know fans love the idea. I, I just wouldn't get too excited about it. But like you said, I could be wrong. I mean, with Harbaugh, you never know. And Mark Davis keeps it pretty close to the vest. So if it is going to happen, though, it has to happen pretty soon because his negotiations with Michigan are kind of getting to a point where it's, I think at some point he gets to look, are we here or not? Because we got recruiting going on. So I think he's enjoying this process, but at some point, He's got to sign the contract there or, you know, find somewhere else to go. You know, Harbaugh, he's in a win-win situation because either he gets a pay raise from Michigan or he gets a pay raise from the NFL and gets to go coach a team and essentially run a team depending on how the GM situation works out. And so kind of hard to really pressure him on any side of it. You know, I think he has a leverage in the situation. You know, even though the Raiders have an attractive job opening, uh, you look at the other candidates out there, it's not like there's one clear-cut top you know, coaching candidate that kind of he would be in competition with for the position, especially with the Raiders, you know, only, you know, requesting one outside interview right now. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see how, how it plays out uh, in, in terms of like Harbaugh, you know, theoretically, if he does get the job, you know, what kind of hire would be for the Raiders. I mean, I would say he's pretty successful um, with the 49ers. Uh, I don't know it didn't end the way that they wanted it to, but I mean, he's a guy that's, that's proven he's capable of being a quality NFL coach and leading a team on playoff runs. And even at the college level, he's had success. I know, you know, they couldn't beat Ohio State for like 10 years there, but and they made the college football playoff this year. And so, you know, I don't, I'm not sure, you know, if you want him in charge of personnel moves, is that a deal breaker? But just in terms of being a football coach, um, you know, it may not be the highest upside hire. You know, I don't, I don't know, maybe a younger guy would be, you know, you know, more potential in the long term. But uh, I think it'd be a pretty good hire if it ends up coming together. The one thing Harbaugh has been able to do everywhere he's gone is he, he's been able to put together really good coaching staffs. And I wouldn't doubt he would be able to put together a really good staff if he were to be hired by the Raiders and maybe even possibly bring in Vic Fangio, who was his defensive coordinator when he he was with the Niners. And, you know, that would be Vic Fangio. You know, he might not have worked out as a head coach, but he's one of the best defensive play callers in the league, if not the best defensive play caller in the league. So, you know, I, I would be really interested in that combination. Obviously, offensive coordinator would be a huge higher as well because you know Carr has gone through so many offensive coordinators in uh in his career that finding someone that would actually stay here and give him some continuity has to be up there too which is why I think you know if Harbaugh's not the guy then I you know I would just I would think that finding an offensive play caller as a head coach you know a guy that won't get hired by another team would be a pretty high up there for the Raiders if they do decide that they're going to stay with Carr. Yeah, I mean, you look at Harbaugh. I mean, we, when we talk about college coaches, I mean, you know, that, that don't succeed when they jump to the NFL. Obviously, he's got the NFL success along with what he's done in college. 44-19-1 in the four seasons with the Niners. Three trips to the NFC Championship game. One trip to the Super Bowl. The season where everything fell apart. And, I mean, leaks were all over the place. Every, you know, everyone knew he was gone at the end of the year. They still managed to go 8-8. Eight and eight. I mean, that was, like, kind of the worst-case scenario and that team you know, had talent when he took over, but they had been pretty bad for a long while. But I've always seen him more as an NFL coach, even though he's he's been at Michigan for a while now. Just because, as Ted, as you mentioned, you know the the connections with coaches, the, the coaching staff he likes to hire. I mean, I, I remember when he first got hired at Michigan, 
he, he was promising jobs to like 13 guys, and I think you're only allowed you know 10 coaches on your uh, staff in college. And with the Niners, he had like, the largest staff in the NFL. I mean, I think you know most teams are in like the 24, 25 range. I think he was up in like the 30s. He likes to bring in a lot of coaches, and that was a big thing for him that led to his kind of success this year at Michigan, I think, was he did have to revamp that coaching staff. He brought in a younger staff, more innovative staff, and that was a big part of their success that I think he had gotten a little bit stagnant, a little bit stale there. And so it, it would be interesting to see how he would blend some of these younger guys that he brought into the Michigan staff this season with the guys that he's worked with at the NFL level. But obviously that's getting ahead of ourselves. That's talking about if Harbaugh comes in. But we have to acknowledge it as a possibility. It's We know it's the Raiders fans, I think. Um, if you gauge the fan base, that would be their number one choice. It would be Harbaugh, Fangio, and, and Ed Dodds running the show as GM. They really uh, put a lot of stock into that, that 2003 season. Uh, hey man, he was he was a, he was an intern when Harbaugh was a quarterbacks coach. They are lockstep. They are going out all the yeah, time. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the out. yeah the pro personnel intern. I'm sure he just <laughs> was the closest guy in the world with a quarterback coach. Man, they love each other. <laughs> Seems like Dodds one of those guys who's kind of clearly going to be a GM at some point. Everyone in the league talks so highly about him, and he's kind of waiting for the right opportunity. He turned out a couple. Opportunities last year, turned down the Bears interview this year. So I think he's the kind of guy waiting for the perfect spot. And again, we don't know what his dynamic is to Harbaugh, but it's like he'd want a pretty good, you know, personnel say, if not total say. So you wonder how that would work. But um, it's wide open, so we don't really know. But there could be a lot more names that emerge. But you figure, well, the senior bowls, what, in, in two weeks? So that's kind of like your deadline. I think you have a staff, at least a general manager, in place before you get to uh, doing some scouting of some players. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the the GM interviews go, and I mean, and it's possible that the reason they're focusing on the GM is is maybe you know they've got Harbaugh, the Harbaugh idea in the back pocket, and they want to see how these GMs think they could work with him, what kind of role they would they would want. But I am surprised they haven't started requesting at least a couple more head coaching interviews, um, and they haven't lined up an actual date with uh, Gerard Mayo, right? That's what I've heard no. So we'll see. I mean, I yeah, you would think you'd want to get the GM locked up. End of the week, early next week, you would think? Because we also don't know dates for Ed Dodds and uh, Trey Brown, big old scout that they also requested. Um, but I think, you know, kind of an interesting thing is like none of the four GM candidates that they requested an interview have like ever had complete decision making power. I think Dave Zeigler with the Patriots is probably the closest thing because the Patriots don't have like a you know, GM by term just because Bill Belichick is basically the GM and Zeigler is the next guy down below him. So technically he's kind of the GM there. But Bill Belichick makes all the final decisions. Um, it's kind of like the, the Gruden situation with Mayock there. And so maybe that could also be a sign of, even though, like, so like, like Vic said with Dodds, it's kind of, I feel like Dodds would probably want to run his own show, um, even though he's never done it before. And so, but maybe there's, you know, some kind of, you know, conversation with Mark's, you know, interviewing these guys, seeing who is willing to, you know, if they're, if it, the guy is a guy like Harbaugh and he wants to run the show, a, a GM that would be fine in that kind of position. And so, yeah, I, I think the list, you know, they put together so far, you know, the guys, they all seem qualified to me, uh, have a pretty strong background. By the time this comes out, I'll probably have my story out, you know, kind of going through all the, the GM candidates that they've requested the interview so far. But especially since they, they're, they're kind of, you know, rested on their heels with the, with the coach search, you would think they, they try to move pretty quickly on the GM one. You can't, I think they should be you know, patient and take their time with it, but obviously you can't take too long. I mean, we, we see some of the hottest candidates, whether it's Dan Quinn or Kellen Moore or, you know, several other guys are already, you know, having several interviews with different teams. Um, so eventually these guys are going to start coming off the board. You don't want to be left in a situation where, you know, the hardball thing doesn't work out and everybody else is already locked up. So 
you know, being patient and, and not rushing it, but also having a sense of purpose as well. All right, we're going to take a few questions here before we get on to the State of the Nation Awards. Uh, we'll start with this one from Nathan K. Now that both are gone, can you paint a clearer picture for us of the role Mayock played before and after Gruden was fired? Resigned, but fired. How much responsibility does he have for each of the first and third round misfires? And conversely, how much credit does he deserve for the better late round picks like Crosby and Renfro? What was his role with the bad versus good free agent signings? Well, if you're Mike Mayock, you say that you picked all the good picks and you made all the good free agent signings and Gruden made all the bad ones, right? I think with that whole dynamic, I mean, Gruden was, was he's making the, the final call on like all football transactions. And so like ultimately, like Gruden is saying, yes, we'll do this. But like, yeah, maybe Mayock went harder for some guys than he went for other guys. But at the end of the day, like, People keep asking, like, Gruden was making the football decisions. Like, that was, he had the power. So, like, technically, if you're asking who made the pick, John Gruden made every single pick that he made when he was the head coach of the Raiders. You know, Mayock, you know, like I said, he's not a bystander. So, was he pounding the table for Clee Farrell? Probably so. You know, was he telling him, you know, this is the guy that we got to go get? Was Damon Arnett one of his guys? I'm sure. Um, and so, you can't absolve him from, from blame of it. But technically speaking, like, he wasn't making those draft picks. Well, I went over a bunch of them and my colony was fired. And I think, um, like Deshaun said, obviously there's a joint effort there. I mean, Mike did most of the preparation, his, his staff, all the draft prep and they get to the room and John has his opinions. And a lot of times John would win, obviously like Henry Ruggs is totally a John Gruden pick and Mark Davis is really high on him, the next Cliff Branch. So like that was one Mike didn't probably wasn't as high on Henry as other receivers that were in that first round. But Cleveland Farrell is a guy who, they wanted to trade back for the plan along to trade back in the first round. The trade couldn't materialize for whatever reason, so they kind of were stuck, and they kind of decided to take the guy they thought was a character guy who had the upside and really maybe not the twitchiness you want and a number four overall pick, but I think that definitely was a Mike Mayock-led pick. I hear he gets all credit for Hunter Renfro. That was really the guy he was pushing for. Other side of the coin, Damon Arnett was a guy Mike himself said he did the most homework he has his entire career. And so and I think Paul Gunther is also a guy who's a big Arnett guy. So I think Rudin may have that, that one. You can't really blame uh, John too much. Uh, Tanner Muse, definitely a Mike Mayock guy. I mean, he, he, he can go on and on and on. But again, Mike definitely, he won some, you know, and some Gruden won and some they agreed on. So, I mean, it's hard to say each guy was this guy or that guy. But you can clearly see some people were definitely a Mike Mayock you know, pick. Mike Crosby's a guy who... Um, Mike always talked about really highly on early on the draft process. You might say Max is more of a, a Mayak guy than a Gruden guy. But, um, yeah, definitely hits and misses, but uh, more misses than, than hits. That's why he's no longer the GM of the Raiders. Yeah, all of this is collaborative. I mean, Ron Milas, you know, he really pounded the table for Nate Hobbs. That's why he drafted him. Tom Cable was really Alex Leatherwood guy. That hasn't worked out so far. Uh, you know, Richard Smith was really high on Devon Diop. It's like, it's not like one person is just saying, all right, that's my guy. Obviously, Gruden was the only one person that could say that. <laughs> like, if he, he wanted somebody, he's like, all right, I don't care what, what the rest of y'all think. For the most part, like, these picks, it's not one or the other. Like, it's, it's more of a collaborative effort. But in the building, when they don't work, they're definitely on fingers pointing in the building. Like, oh, that was a mad guy. I mean, like, Tanner Muse, I mean, heard it. But from day one, I mean, whatever, Tanner's, uh, he was lost. I mean, obviously, it was a big job. He changed positions. And, I mean, but from day one, it was clear he wasn't a good pick. I think people in the building were like, oh, man, what's, what's Mike doing? So there's definitely examples in both cases where you point at a guy and say, well, uh, you know, what, what the hell's John thinking? But um, especially in the building, there's always finger pointing, especially when things don't go well. 
Tanner Muse is taking strays just uh, out of nowhere. <laughs> My bad, Tanner. I, I apologize, Tanner Muse. But, uh, but all, all three of those, and that's the thing, Mike, those three third-round picks, you know, Mike said they were all steals. You're stealing, you're stealing starters in the third round. And obviously, they trade Lynn Bowden within months. They made it such a bad fit. They had to get, get out of here. And then uh, Brian Edwards is... Um, I don't know what he says. He's solid. I guess Edwards is a solid player, but definitely not a guy you say you stole and is an impact starter. So I think that that third round also, Mike was very proud of those three picks in that one third round, and they also didn't pan out. So um, and you never know. It's, it's a crapshoot. I think one thing, though, with Mayak, we can say after his tenure, you know, there was some talk. Has he lost credibility to, like, be able to go back on TV and, you know, oh, we've seen him do it, and we now we know whatever he says, uh, you know, don't rely on it. I mean, I think... A, we talked about it. it's enough of a collaborative that you can't it's hard to point fingers this that that and you know he has enough you know of those late round picks that that turned out well that you can point to his success I mean I I don't think I don't think this tenure ends up being a huge knock to his credibility um you know because at the end of the day I mean the, the Raiders got into the playoffs um I mean I I think yeah you know, I mean I don't think his reputation is significantly worse coming out of this tenure than it was going into it. I mean, we all knew going into it that here was a guy who had never worked for an NFL team, and this was going to be a test of how good his scouting was. Um, and so it's not like he he was definitely a proven commodity that we all knew was going to be great. I mean, that's part of TV. That's part of the guys on TV that, that don't own, that don't have the job. You know, we, we don't ever really get to see proof of can they really put a team together. So, I mean, I, I think, I mean, if he were to walk back on a TV set and go back to his old job, I don't think I, all of a sudden ever Brady saying, "Now nah, we're not listening to him because he's shown that he knows nothing about football." I say, like I write about Brandon Parker being a you know terrible right tackle. Like if I go out there and get pancake pancake by a defensive lineman, does that mean I can't write about the Raiders anymore? <laughs> you know, observe something and, and make your evaluations. You know, it doesn't guarantee that you, you yourself are going to be good at it. So I think I don't I don't know why that person tweeted that. That's a little bit ridiculous. And plus, I mean, to be a TV analyst, you only need a lot of credibility. That's that's been proven in the past, also. But <laughs> I, I think I, I think with Mike, I mean, they had a good year in free agency this year. He was a GM of a playoff team. Not many, I mean, only a few guys that say that this year in the NFL. So there's enough positives. You mentioned Crosby and Renfro. You can talk with those guys all, all for a long time. They're great late picks. So I, I think he's fine. I think he'll definitely bounce back and he'll be a credible uh, draft and al- analyst, if not somewhere else uh, before long. I mean, Charlie Casterly's still on TV, you know, so <laughs> credibility is not, not a requirement. But, I mean, the thing is, I wow, think, you know. Talking about, talking about strays. <laughs> talking about strays. Good Lord, you just killed that guy. But, I, I mean, I think with Mayock's experience as a GM, I would be, you know, more interested to hear, you know, what he wants to would say now based on having that NFL experience, too. So, yeah, I think it's just kind of ridiculous to, to, to think that, you know, he can't go back on TV because he wasn't an amazing success with the Raiders. Well, he's good at it. He's, he's, really good. he's a really good TV analyst. I mean, he's informative, interesting. He's got a sense of humor. I mean, he's definitely much more open in that role than he was as a GM talking to us. All right, question here from Tim O. As much as it pains me to say this as a Raider fan, I would love to have an offense as physical and explosive as the 49ers. Are there any head coach candidates on the 49ers coaching staff worth kicking the tires on that could bring the same style of offense to the Raiders? And I think if you're asking that question, the one name that would jump out, he has been uh, requested, I think, for at least one uh, head coaching interview is their offensive coordinator, Mike McDaniel. He's in his first year as the OC. Um, Kyle Shanahan typically in the past did not name anybody an OC 
you know, he's the offensive play caller. But after losing Robert Sala, his D coordinator to the Jets, they took uh, Michael. He took Michael Fleur with him. He went and promoted Mike McDaniel to the offensive coordinator role. And that's allowed him the opportunity this year to do the weekly press conferences and kind of get his personality out there. And I think he's really thought of as very bright. And as long as Shanahan's been there with the 49ers, McDaniel has been the guy that's designed their running game. And obviously Shanahan has a big role in that. We all know the Shanahan coaching tree and how much they they place value on that running game. But um, yeah, I mean, if you are looking for a coaching candidate off the 49ers to bring that kind of offense, you know, Mike McDaniel is a name to consider, I would think. It's kind of hard to see Mark going for you know one of those unproven coordinators that's why i'm always kind of like the kellen moore one too it's kind of like i don't don't, you know is he actually gonna hire kellen moore to be his head coach i I feel like that's a little too not saying it can't work out obviously we've seen it work out in recent years and and most of the hot offense coordinators end up getting head coaching jobs but uh i feel like that's like a little bit too much of a a dice roll with mark giving the stakes um you know the the decision this offseason the vic you gotta talk to us about rex ryan you have been freaking out the fan base. I saw one comment on a story that says, uh, every time I see Rex Ryan mentioned as a candidate, a little piece of me dies. Uh, <laughs> I think I've only mentioned him twice, but I mean, I'm saying, I mean, who knows? So you've killed this a little piece of this guy twice. Well, I apologize for that. I just think um, names that I've heard that Marcus likes, he's one of them. He's a guy who would have that kind of like that, you know, that nastiness, the kind of that, that edge that Mark likes in a defensive coach. And he has the ties. His brother was here. So I think he wants to get back into it. I imagine he would jump at a chance. I think he has some, some, some cachet. And I think some fans may think he's not totally a, a bad coach. He has some success, you know, obviously in his career. But I don't think it's like high on the list. But I, if ever this list really gets down to like more than right now with two names, you might hear his name come up. I just think he's a guy that, that Mark likes. I think same with Wick Martindale, another guy that has ties through through Al Davis, and there's another guy that has some respect around the league. Those are guys that I think, I don't know how long Mark's list of possibilities is, but I believe those two guys are on it. If they hire Rex Ryan, does he get the tattoo changed to uh, to Derek Carr? I don't even know what tattoo. <laughs> I, I know he has a foot fetish. What, what tattoos do you have? Remind me. He's got a tattoo. Of, he, well, he, I think he did at one time get a tattoo of his wife wearing a Mark Sanchez jersey. Wow. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> what was Mark's number? Six. six. Okay. So he'd have to get the six changed to four. I think he got a change to a Bills jersey when he took that job. So he'd have to get a change to silver and black and maybe change the six to a four. Or maybe – is it six A.J. Cole? I mean, he could like punters. The foot, you said the foot fetish, wow. the punter, the, wow. number six, A.J. Cole. There we go. Rex Ryan, uh, make, him, make him the head coach. All right, final question here before we get to State of the Nation Awards. Uh, this one comes from Nick D. Is Jonathan Abrams safe as a starter going into 2022? His injury didn't really seem to have a negative impact on the defense. At this point, are there any unlocks left to his game? We haven't seen at this point. Convert him to strong side linebacker. He's not terrible, but he's kind of a one-dimensional safety that, you know, if, if you need a type like that, you can probably get him in the mid middle late rounds of the draft or spend a couple million in free agency for, for a guy like him, right? Yeah, I mean, he basically is a strong side linebacker. The way they used him this past year uh, as a box safety, you know, when they're in a nickel. I mean, they do this in four or three bases as well, but when they are in a nickel, I mean, he basically lines up as, you know, the, the strong side linebacker, and we saw that this year. And I would say he was better, you know, than we'd seen him in the past. Like he, he was still a liability in coverage. I don't think that's ever really going to change. And the big thing with him is, is staying healthy. He's had two season-ended injuries. You know, for them, if they, they have to obviously make a call on picking up his fifth-year option, 
I believe I have a story coming out next week about the roster. I think it's about $7 million uh, for his fifth year option. That feels a little steep for a box safety when you can, like you said, get that kind of guy. And we, we've seen teams like the Rams get Jordan Fuller late in, in draft rounds. And uh, the Raiders have had success drafting late and, and finding guys. And, and, and also, as you said, you know, signing somebody. And so I, I feel like they're going to decline that, that option. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, he's just a terrible player or anything of that nature. He's just, um, you know, he's a very attainable commodity in this league. If Gus Bradley somehow comes back, then that'd be his best chance of coming back because that's really the only defensive system that he fits into. And Gus Bradley is the last of the Seattle defensive tree that's still running heavy, heavy cover three. So, you know, yeah, I mean, that, that would be his best chance of coming back. Any other coach comes in, I think he's probably gone. And he'll probably be a linebacker in his next stop, you know, kind of like Keanu Neal. He's just playing a position that's out of vogue in the, in the league now, you know. And he kind of prevented, I mean, didn't allow the, the Raiders to really play a lot of too deep. Every time they had to play, you know, too deep coverages, he went to linebacker or he got off the field. So his best chance of it is, is if Radley's back, if he's gone, then um, Abram's gone. I agree. I only had, like when I mentioned the, the six you know, first-round picks in there, Mike Mayock, I, I said Josh Jacobs, the only really definite starter in, in the six. I didn't include Abram because I think it's, it is kind of wide open still. I think you look at the games this year against the Chiefs, I think he kind of got exposed again. And I think he I def, definitely improved this year, definitely a much better player this year than he was in the past. He hoped that there's more to grow uh, under Gus Bradley. Bradley comes back, but I agree. It's a big question mark, and you can't say he's a, a starter going to come back next year. It definitely depends on the new staff. Even with Gus, I would say it's not a definite thing. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, guys, it is time now for the second annual State of the Nation Awards, as voted on by your hosts here of State of the Nation. And we'll start with the Warm Bum Award, everybody's favorite, as coined by Vic Tafer. I think there's a little bit of a warm sensation on his bum right now, probably, I think. (laughs) This year's winner of the Warm Bum Award is Rich Basaccia, the interim coach who obviously... um, 
at any moment now he could no longer be employed by the Raiders. But um, I mean, he wins the Warm Bum Award, I think, not really by any of his own doing. I mean, he didn't come into the season expecting to be named the interim head coach and, and be scrutinized for every move he makes. But, um, you know, he's the longtime special teams coordinator. He got promoted to interim head coach. Obviously, he would like to get the permanent job. Now, I don't think any of us expect that that's going to happen, but it's a possibility. But he is the uh, the winner of the Warm Bum Award. And it's unfortunate because he did a good job. I mean, not, you, know, you say overachieved or whatever, but he got into the playoffs. And the, the team was a mess. You know, they lost their coach. And Henry Ruggs' tragedy happened. They lost five or six. But he definitely did the right things. And the players believed in him, and they kind of fought back. So I think it's a weird deal because I'm going to write about the coaching staff part today and tomorrow. But... If you look at it, like you say, John Gruden never happened to email, say he's still the coach all year long. They go 10-7, make the playoffs, lose a close game to the Bengals. There's no question John Gruden and the staff are back next year. It's like, oh, hey, they did a good job. They made another step up. You know, they overcame, you know, whatever. They, they're on the right path. So it is weird that, you know, they lost John Gruden and the staff kind of stepped up and did a really good job. And they got the success that you know, I think Gruden would have been rewarded for. And yet they might lose their jobs. So it is a really weird and kind of sad deal for them. But he did a good job. The players believe in him. And I think um, we'll see if they can somehow convince Mark Davis of that. And But, yeah, he's on the, on the, on the warm bump seat right now. Yeah, I think there's you know, some guys in the, in the scouting department that feel kind of a similar way, like the goalpost has been moved a little bit. Because, obviously, the edict before the season was making the playoffs and that's a success. And kind of as we went along, it became, well, you got to advance in the playoffs. Um, and so I'm sure that was the argument for Mike Mayock and we see what happened with him. And so I feel like if Rich was going to get the job, like Mayock would still be employed, like considering even though Rich, you know, this individual season, like he did a, a good job. If you, if you deem that he did a good job, then you would have to you know the last three seasons and building the team say that Mayock did a good job. And so it wouldn't line up to keep one and fire the other. But I will say, like, you know, just because their coaching staff changed, like, it doesn't guarantee necessarily that the entire coaching staff uh, will lose their jobs. I mean, the special teams unit, I mean, Daniel, Daniel Carlson, all his game-winning field goals. A.J. Cole was a first-team All-Pro player this year. You know, Hunter Renfro was a good punt return. Like, they had some really good special teams this year, one of the better units in the league. And so if you bring him back as a special teams coordinator, some of that continuity, having those relationships with the guys, uh, I would say probably Rod Marinelli is another guy that comes to mind with the way the defensive line played, maybe trying to keep him as well. And so um doesn't have to necessarily be a clean slate, but I just don't see him getting the head coaching job. Just don't let Peyton Barber back there on the kick return. The second place, the runner-up for the Warm Bum Award was Corey Littleton. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens, what they can do, if they can work out any magic with his contract to save some cap space. And the third place uh, went to Alex Leatherwood. And Alex Leatherwood, that leads us into the announcement of our biggest disappointment of the 2021 season. And the winner there is Alex Leatherwood. The first-round pick drafted him to be their day-one starting right tackle. He lasted four games there before being moved to right guard. And really, by about every metric, was one of the worst offensive linemen in the league. Not just as a rookie. I mean, you know, among the worst offensive linemen in the league. Um, and uh, that's disappointing to get that out of your first round pick, a guy that you just, you know, expected to draft and plug right in as a starter. Yeah, I mean, part of the the, the move to guard was out of his hands. Like, they obviously were hoping that Denzel Good and Richie Incognito didn't go down with season and injuries basically before the season started. And Denzel Good got hurt on the first, the first series of, of the season. And so... You know, if those two guys are there, he probably never sees guard this year, I would imagine. Doesn't mean he wouldn't have still been a terrible right tackle the way he was playing. But I think the lone bright spot really for Leatherwood was those last four or five games of the season, including the playoffs. Like he really started to come on strong as a run blocker. 
And it was one of the key reasons why Josh Jacobs had such a strong finish to the season. And so, but I mean, for a guy that you draft 17th overall, you kind of want a little bit more than just being a, a solid run blocker for five games out of the season. Um, doesn't mean he's, you know, doomed to, ne- to never be a good player. I mean, you know, it's not completely apples to apples because Colton Miller dealt with injuries his rookie year, a lot of injuries, but he had a pretty terrible rookie season as well. And, and now he's one of the best left tackles in the league. And so there's still hope for him, but no doubt is it is a disappointing considering that, you know, it, it was another one of those first round draft picks that felt like a reach. And if you're going to keep reaching on these guys, they got to produce right away. And, and Leatherwood didn't do that. The problem is he he was so bad that going into next season, you have to think that you need to add a right tackle. And you would you, you don't want to have that type of mindset after using a first-round pick on a right tackle, but that's the situation they're in now where they cannot be comfortable going to next season without adding a potential starter at, at right tackle. Since he only got, I mean, four games at right tackle, I feel like there have been... Plenty of rookie linemen that have looked pretty shitty at tackle in four games, and then like figure it out as they go along in the season. So maybe with that sample size, maybe the you know I don't know if you know if it's Tom Cable, whoever the next offensive line coach would be, like they have some hope that he could play right tackle. Like if you are going to keep him at guard, you definitely have to go get a right tackle because I mean Brandon Parker is not it. Like we know he's not it at this point, and so I definitely think uh, fans may not want them to prioritize offensive line again, given you know all the the free agency dollars and trades and and draft picks they made in recent years, but. I feel like that definitely has to be a priority this offseason, either getting you know a starting right guard or a starting right tackle. If the staff comes back, to me there's no question they're moving back to tackle. I think they moved him to guard. Uh, a lot of reasons, obviously, he wasn't having a lot of success at tackle, but more so, uh, Tom Cable was not a big fan of Jermaine Elmanor. Um, I think I said his name wrong, but I know some fans thought he did a good job, but he wasn't really a fit for Tom. I think that's why Tom made the move. He's more comfortable. But their best five guys included Leatherwood being a guard. It's not the plan long term, at least for the staff. And, uh, but um, and Alex, you know, it's a tough transition to make you know, for a rookie to, to play right away. I think um, another reason maybe that Mike Mack lost his job was because, look back at these last two drafts, um, Arnett and Leatherwood were widely criticized, myself included, about their reaches. They're, they're not good picks for value at that point. And Mike definitely fought back in both drafts. He defended the picks. He kind of got a little angry about the uh, questions and kind of a little testy and like, hey, man, you know, I know what we're doing. And so if you're Mike Davis, he, and he reads everything, he hears everything. So he hears a lot of criticism of these picks. And then the, the one guy is no longer on the team or net, you know, and they, they give away his job right away to Casey Hayward and has off-field problems and he's gone. Leatherwood has a lot of problems in the field this year and struggles. The other Lions, probably the biggest reason why they, they lost in the playoffs. So if you're Mark Davis, those things definitely, I think, ring true. And you're like, yeah, well, we definitely screwed up. So I think there's another reason why Mike Mayock is no longer a GM. All right, uh, there was a two-way tie for uh, runner-up for biggest disappointment, uh, Brian Edwards and the red zone offense uh, tied for uh, second place there. But now we're we're going to start getting more positive with this show. We're going to go on to the biggest surprise. See, we kind of like to build it up. You know, get with the negative stuff early. Build up to man, the positive. The boring bomb. This guy stinks. Man, man you got to start more positive, man. Now we're getting there. We, we want to close on a positive note. The biggest surprise... Pro Bowl linebacker Denzel Perryman is the winner of our biggest surprise award. And, uh, I mean, when they traded for him, we're looking at a guy like, okay, yeah, he was kind of a rotational linebacker for the Chargers. You know, he never really played a full season, a lot of injuries, you know, solid player, a name you knew. We've seen a lot of against uh, playing against the Raiders. 
I don't think any of us had any dreams of him being the guy that was going to come in and solve 20 years of linebacker issues for the Raiders. Yeah, they had so many injuries at the time, so many uh, problems with that position. He was just kind of a body. I mean, they needed a body to throw in there, not only at practice, but also made a play that first game. And all of a sudden, I think back and you see the guy who was a star player in college in Miami, a guy who definitely flashed that ability, second-round pick, and just a dynamic player this year. Made all the, you know, running all over the place, making tackles. It wasn't as bad in pass coverage as we as we thought, just guy who was definitely a leader on the field, just uh, a guy that came out of nowhere and was a huge piece for a defense that really improved this year. Yeah, I think part of the reason why you know, I didn't expect a lot out of Perriman was I really didn't expect them to pay Nick Kwiatkowski $7 million to be a special teams player. <laughs> like, obviously, it was very clear like through training camp that he was not very high in Gus Bradley's mind. It was like, oh, they got to play him, right? And no, they did not. And so... I mean, the opportunity was there and mixed injuries and, and guys, you know, from the from the previous year not performing and he, he took advantage of it. I know, you know he missed a couple of games there and that's kind of been the story of his career is he's played well in spurts and then he gets hurt and he kind of throws a throws a season off the off the rails. But um I think it's definitely his most complete season as a pro and I think, you know, going into next year, I mean, they have him you know, it was a two year deal, they have him three million dollar salary. None of it is guaranteed, but you have to imagine that they would, you know, guarantee that or, you know, uh, you know, make sure they bring him back, and so that's that's pretty good value for your buck for a, a Pro Bowl linebacker. Yeah, that's just another one of those uh, things with the Raiders where they paid you know all this money to Littleton and Kwiatkowski, and the guy that they traded for right before the season started becomes a starter and solidifies himself in the in that spot. So um, yeah, definitely surprised, and you know he he played so well. I think that. Even if a new defensive coordinator comes in, I, I don't think there's a question that he should be a starter in, in that system, too. Average salary. Think about the average salary. Kwiatkowski and Perryman averaged $5 million each this year. doesn't matter that Kwiatkowski got seven, Perryman got three. They averaged $5 million. So uh, it just... It matters, yeah, but that's yeah, a good way to skew it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's, how, how many fans have said, hey, just pretend that Max Crosby was the number four pick and Cleveland Furrow was a fourth rounder, and then, then you'll be you'll be all good with it. All right, let's move on to Rookie of the Year, and um, only three players got votes here. Um, not not every ballot was even full, because um, there weren't a ton of options, but the Rookie of the Year is Nate Hobbs. Um, Runner-up was Trayvon Merrick. Uh, Divine Diablo got a couple third-place votes, uh, but Nate Hobbs, I mean, you're able to get a starting nickelback what, in the fifth round. That's tremendous value, um, and he looks like a player who's going to be you know, a, a starter for them for uh, for a long time. I really like Nate Hobbs. You know, it was uh, between Morig and Hobbs. I just thought Hobbs made more of an impact consistently. And, you know, the, uh, the plays I really think about when I think about Nate Hobbs are three plays he made against the Indianapolis Colts at the end of that game. He made a, you know, he made some huge tackles in that game and really got them a huge stop in, in that game. I, I just thought, you know, he plays a little bit closer to the ball. His impact as a tackler, as a guy who covered a slot. Uh, was just huge. So um, I, I just think he made the biggest impact as a rookie. Yeah, I think, you know, Morick was kind of, he was my pick uh, just because he played every defensive snap. And I think he was most consistent from week to week. But, you know, playing that, that center fielder role, he's not in action a bunch. He didn't get targeted that much. Wasn't as involved in the run game. So I definitely understand that. Uh, picking Hobbs, I mean, for all of Mayock's downfalls, I mean, you know, like I said, it was Ron Miles, but Mayock, you know, helping them make the pick with that with that one. Um, I mean, you got to start a nickel back for I think he's making like nine hundred thousand dollars moving forward, you know, on that on that fifth round deal, and so got a, got a long term starter locked in. You would think, you know, regardless of 
uh, whatever scheme that comes in next. I feel like most defenses like use nickel pretty heavily, so he should be a pretty instrumental part of the defense. Yeah, I thought Merrick was very solid and very steady. I think I love his upside. I just thought Hobson more of a big play ability this year, kind of showed up more in, in bigger situations where Merrick was always maybe a step, a half step slower sometimes to make some big plays. So, but I think it was close, but I went with Hobbs. All right, defensive player of the year. Well, you know, last year when we voted on this, it was, you know, just voting by default on guys. Um, this year we actually had legitimate candidates, and uh, the winner of this year's defensive player of the year is Max Crosby. Um, with a pretty easy choice, Denzel Perryman came in second, Casey Hayward third, uh, Unique Ngakwe got some votes. I mean, Crosby makes his first Pro Bowl. You know, eight sacks, if you just look at that, if you're just like that type of person only looks at the sack total, doesn't jump out at you, but led the NFL in pressures and was just relentless. He improved so much as a run blocker. Uh, I mean, just an incredible season from Crosby and uh, deservedly so as our defensive player of the year. I also had him as my biggest surprise, too, because, we, you know, we, we knew Crosby was good and, you know, we thought he would make some improvements under Gus Bradley. But for him to come out and lead the league in pressures and uh, just be the dominant force he was, was, uh, you know, a surprise to me. He was one of the best pass rushers in the league and, as we know, is a very valuable position. So, yeah, easy defensive player of the year. Yeah, we've come a long way from some some writers uh, having Max Crosby getting benched for Cleveland. Oh. <laughs> after, <laughs> after the unique and Somebody else is catching strains on this show. Wow. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Max... Yeah, he's one of the most complete defensive ends in the league, you know, just continuing to improve. I guess you could say maybe last year he took a step back from his rookie campaign having 10 sacks. But, you know, I mean, he's a guy coming up his offseason. You know, you don't necessarily have to, but you, you would figure that's a guy you want to lock up on an extension. Um, and I'm sure he'll want an extension. You know, and he's another guy that's on one of those mid late round salaries. It's not making I think it's supposed to make under a million dollars next year. And so you would have to imagine he'd want a new deal. And I would say based off his play this year and his upward trajectory is, is worth it. Even besides all the pressures and the impact he had on the field, I think last year he talked about wanting to be more of a leader and kind of asserting himself in that role. And he really did. Both he and Ngakwe kind of from day one kind of took over this defense and kind of gave it uh, its spirit. I think uh, he's become kind of the heart of the team. So I think definitely Max Crosby uh, deserves all the accolades this season. All right, let's move on to Offensive Player of the Year, and our winner there is Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro. Um, I mean, incredible season. Yeah, Hunter well, Renfro. Uh, he beats out Derek Carr. You know, we do still have an MVP award to, to hand out. Hunter Renfro, 100 catches, over 1,000 yards. He is our winner of our uh, Offensive Player of the Year. To me, Offensive Player of the Year is not a quarterback award. That, uh, that's okay. just my All opinion. Right. All right, that's fair. And, you know, I think it was between him and Colton Miller and – it's just all the clutch plays Renfro made. You know, Waller was out. You know, obviously the rug situation happened. And he just kept stepping up and making big plays when the Raiders needed to him, uh, needed him to. So, to me, that's why he's off the player of the year. Yeah, I mean, the Raiders, they couldn't run the ball until, like, the last three games, of the, four games of the season. And if they didn't have Renfro, like, their passing game would have been cooked. So, they would have been not able to pass the ball or run the ball. I feel like Renfro, I mean, especially when Waller went down, like he was, he was helping keeping the offense afloat. You know, I, I think Colton Miller, I kind of debated giving it to him just because, I mean, given how, how bad the offensive line was, I mean, he was really the only one that played at a high level from start to finish. I'd say he didn't have, like everybody has their moments, but I mean, he was one of the better left tackles in the league this year on a unit that was pretty terrible and kind of was one of the one things that kept him respectable at times. And so I think his impact was, was pretty huge as well. But 
I ended up giving it to to Renfro as well. I didn't realize that quarterbacks weren't eligible, but I just we talked to him about Oh, they are. They are. <laughs> he was second place. <laughs> um, Renfro was great, obviously. I uh, made a lot of plays, but you talked about, you know, both of you guys with the O line not being very good and you can't run the ball. So to me that screams well the quarterback must have done a great job and if they win they win ten games. So I voted for Derek Carr. But Renfro is definitely a, a very good year. And you wonder going forward if you have to get more more talent in that position, you know, what his numbers will do, but uh, definitely stepped up big and was hard to cover for a lot of slot cornerbacks this year. Vic is sitting here stunned that Renfro won, yet Vic voted Renfro second place on his uh, on his ballot. So. <laughs> it was a huge, I mean, it was a huge gap, though. That's, that's why I was stunned. I mean, I, didn't, I never considered him first, but again, I was thinking something else, so it's all, it's all good. I mean, Derek had like 20 turnovers this year and like, you know, had some some stretches where he was kind of not good. I mean, especially after the bye week. So, I mean, I, I feel like Renfro was more consistent in terms of like playing well. Derek a hard time as much as anybody else does. But like you said, no line, no running game for the first, what, 13 weeks of the year. And he's still into guy. I mean, I don't know. I just think uh, he did a really good job this year. Just my opinion. I just don't think quarterbacks should be considered off the player of the year because they're going to be they're going to win all these MVP votes and all that stuff. So to that's, me, that's, yeah, that's to me, offensive player of the year is like a award for a non-quarterback player. I, no, I like it. I mean, I had run for a second. There's a reason. There's no rules to the voting. You just, boom, here's the name of the awards you vote. All right, that does lead us to our final award here, MVP. And uh, this one was the, the closest battle, um, and I think rightfully so. But Derek Carr is our MVP, beating out Max Crosby. And either of those guys are deserving. I mean, you know, Vic, you talked about Max's growth as a leader. For me, I mean, I think this is where, you know, Derek Carr deserves the award. Everything that he had to do to kind of hold this team together, you know, being one of the, the guys that has to that has to speak after every game, every week, through all the turmoil, um, through all the off-the-field issues. He finally gets his team into the playoffs, finally gets to experience the playoffs. So I thought he was easily deserving. But, I mean, Max Crosby certainly... Uh, could have easily won this award as well. I mean, I, I kind of wish we could have uh, rigged the votes to, to have co-MVPs, but uh, Derek Carr is our MVP. And, and that does set it up that nobody, we have no repeat winners. Nobody won Defensive Player of the Year and MVP. So we get to spread the awards around. That, that's nice. They they all get some hardware, some uh, pretend hardware. I think I had uh, I think I had Max one and Derek two, but uh, I agree that both are very deserving of the award. I think also Ngakwe is the third guy as far as, Leadership on this team kind of taking over, kind of when things went bad, they kind of got guys to galvanize together. So I think Ngakwe gets a special mention also in my book, but I think those definitely you can't argue with either Carr or, or Max as MVP. Yeah, I picked Max as well, but I, you know, there's no issue with Derek Carr getting it. Uh, like I said, with the, with the leadership component and holding the team together, um, I think he, you know, this is like, I know this is the most passing yards ever, but this isn't like his most impressive statistical season. You're talking about the, the touchdown and turnover ratio and all that. But I think it's pretty clear, like, throughout the year, he's a top 10 to 12-ish quarterback in the league. And I think, personally, he showed enough to really whoever the coach or the GM is to, to be the Raiders' quarterback next year. I mean, the draft class, I'm sorry, the quarterbacks, they're not moving me. The the free agent quarterbacks aren't great. The trades that, you know, the, hypo- the hypothetical trades that are out there, you would have to give up so much that it doesn't really make sense. And so I, I think, you know, Derek Carr get that three or four year extension, nine figures. I think it's, I think it's about time for that. I just saw my ballot. I had Perryman second, Carr third, but whatever. Whatever I said, I had Perryman to it also. I forgot about Denzel. <clears throat> All right, guys, I do have a surprise. We do have one Final award. This oh. was voted on by our producer, Brian Smith. Uh, does not involve anybody on the Raiders. These are the top three sound bites 
of the year. Oh god. <laughs> Is it all Vic singing? <laughs> Number one top sound bite of the season. Vic Tafer, speaking of the zombie lion head. I have to try to somehow like carry on with this this team, this roster, and this playbook as as is, just without the main guy. Like the the, the head of the of the lion has kind of been cut off, but it's like a like a zombie lion. I don't know what that was something. <laughs> Sorry, the the lion's still. <laughs> I lost myself. The lion's still alive. The lion's still. We're gonna have a zombie on. lion out at MGM yeah, Grand but now. Exactly. Number two, Deshaun Reed. Clear skies for an ass whooping. Be clear skies for an ass whooping. I mean, it's, don't know what the fuck that changes. That was a reference <laughs> to a game in Kansas City, right? It was very, very true. true. I mean. <laughs> Number three, Ted Wynn. I did some research. Yeah, I did some research. Those <laughs> <laughs> are good awards. I like this. Brian did offer two honorable mentions. He says there was too many to not add in a couple honorable mentions. So first honorable mention from Vic. That calf has went through a lot of wars. As a 39-year-old calf, that calf's went through a lot of wars, so I'm not sure you can really guess when he'll bounce back and be 100% again. <laughs> <laughs> Richie Incognito, I believe, right? Oh, man. Oh, poor Richie. And the final honorable mention from Tashawn. Winning you're in, losing you're fucked. Winning you in, you know, losing you're fucked. <laughs> Very wise, very wise things. I like the- these are some great quotes. I mean, if you get these on t- on t-shirts, I was worried gonna pull out some Roman ad stuff. That's what I was worried about. But I'm glad we didn't. That's good. Hey, uh, the Roman ad that was pretty legendary. <laughs> I mean, the audio audio sales team liked that one. You can't forget any of Dick singing and what the world needs now is love, sweet love. There is another honorable mention. From Ted, where he he really broke it down the uh, the best case scenarios and the worst case scenarios. That that's personally one of my favorites. When uh, it, it was uh, from the State of the Nation mailbag, somebody wanted to know what are the best case scenarios and worst case scenarios. And Ted, I mean, he he laid it down as simply as you can get. What do you guys see as a best case scenario for the rest of the year and worst case scenario for the rest of the year given the current circumstances? Oh, that's easy. The best case is they go undefeated and win the Super Bowl, and the worst case is they lose all the rest of the games. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I mean, Ted, Ted, this is this is why we hired Ted. He has the best analysis in football. He, he just he breaks. You know, all of us go with the the on the surface analysis. He breaks it down to the granular level, and that was that was that was that was as good as it gets. The, the best part was how excited he was to share information. He was so excited to tell us about the best and worst case scenarios. I was like, hey, I know what it is. Like, is it not true? <laughs> Yeah, it's very true, Ted. Good point. But all right, guys, that'll wrap up our final regularly scheduled edition of State of the Nation of this 2021 season. Obviously, we've got coaching search to GM search going on. When the Raiders make hires there, we'll come back on and we'll break it all down. As news breaks in the offseason, we'll be here. You know, we'll get you ready. You know, have a show around the combine, obviously shows around the draft. Um we will not uh, we will not go far here in the offseason, but uh, this is our final regularly scheduled edition. And uh, but, you know, hey. Decent chance you may hear from us next week when uh, some hires are made. But uh, we appreciate everybody listening. It's been a fun show. It's been a fun season. And uh, hopefully we're looking forward to another fun offseason. Yep. Thanks, everybody, for listening. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Adios. All right. One and two and three.
Welcome to the jungle, we got fun and games. We got everything you want, honey, we know the names. We are the people that can find whatever you may need. If you got the money, honey, we got your disease. In the jungle, welcome to the jungle.